Our scripture reading today is from Exodus uh, 33, 7 to 17. Now Moses, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. And whenever Mo Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. Watching, uh, excuse me, as Moses uh, went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while Moses, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and, and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Um, continuing into Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my inequity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my inequity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. As you heard Neil read two texts from the Old Testament, 
you know that we're continuing in the Old Testament as a part of our series that we began last week. The series is titled The Bridge of Friendship. You might notice a bridge up front on our stage or chancel. And it's meant to remind us of what friendship has the potential for in human community to bring two sides together across a gap, a distance of some sort. That's what bridges do. Um, just last week and last weekend, um, uh, did some driving in the Puget Sound area and you can't go very far in this region without driving across a bridge or driving to a place where you can see a bridge magnificently arching over a great expanse, a great distance that is being bridged by that edifice. Bridges are powerful in bringing things together. One side to another. We are considering the bridge as an illustration of what a friendship can do. What being a friend to another can do, especially when we are different or find ourselves on different sides of things from our friends. Now, this could be a, uh, just a moment in a friendship where we find ourselves on different sides of an, of an issue or an emotion or an interpretation of how things are going. But it could also be friendship as a bridge that can connect in relationship to people who are very different from one another. And there are differences in our society that, that in general, in large scale, kind of keep us apart from one another. Things like, you know, ethnicity or political party or age, for instance. Those can be things that can get in the way and kind of keep us apart from each other. Might friendship be God's way of bringing people together across those divides? The bridge of friendship. We're exploring this along with reading a book by Dr. John Perkins called He Calls Me Friend. And the he being referred to there is God. And so following Dr. Perkins' outline of his book, he, when he looks at friendship, he sees our friendships as being based in our friendship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so for those of you who are reading the book, you know already that, that the way his book is written, it follows uh, a Trinitarian framework. First, there's an exploration of God the Father, and our friendship with God the Father. Then God the Son, Jesus. Jesus, friend of sinners. We being those sinners that Jesus has befriended. And then finally, the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit equips us with the virtues and the values that we need to be friends with others. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
self-control, all of those things. And we're going to get into that in this series. But today is really part two of God the Father and our friendship with God and how that might be something that is the foundation of our friendship with others that bridges difference. We're going to look at, first, at God and Moses, specifically through this text from Exodus 33 that Neil read, this moment in the Exodus journey where God revealed himself to Moses in a very intimate way. And then we will look at another intimate relationship, a friendship with God in the Old Testament, and that's a friendship between God and David, the anointed King David, the King David, who was described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart, and yet we'll find that that friendship between David and God was forged by forgiveness. Well, first, let's look at God and Moses face-to-face, as a friend. So, in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 33, come these words. This is at the tent of meeting. It says this, The Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face as one speaks to a friend. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. That is remarkable that the Old Testament would have those words in it. Now you might wonder, why is that, Kurt? Why is it so remarkable? Now some of you know where I'm going to go with this. And that is that the Old Testament includes plenty of uh, stories in it that speak of God's glory and holiness and how some looked upon God and didn't survive the encounter. It was so awesome. And so throughout the Old Testament, you have people who are faithful. They, if they were encountering God, in a sense, in the same space, they would not communicate face-to-face. They would actually avert their eyes and shield their face And be so grateful afterward that they survived the encounter with the almighty, powerful God. It's just something that accentuates in the Old Testament narrative the, the fact that God is God and we are not. And yet there's something remarkable that happens here at the tent of meeting. You know, some biblical scholars through the years have noticed that the tent of meeting is is like a, a precursor of the mediation between God and humanity, like Jesus is the mediator. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 speaks of our seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. So we see God's glory in, 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 a, in the face of a human being like us. And in Jesus' face, that's an encounter that we can survive. It's God mediating, giving us what we can handle of his awesome, infinite power and glory. 
and we relate to Jesus human to human at that point. And so here, what's happening in the tent of meeting is that the Lord is meeting with Moses face to face. John Calvin, uh, in one of his commentaries, uh, wrote that, uh, you know, some people say, like, well, how is this consistent with this portrayal of God? And he says, well, it's actually quite simple. Although God revealed himself to Moses in a unique way, we can assume that he did not, in that moment, show Moses his full glory, but only so far as his humanity, Moses' humanity, could endure it. So even then, God mediated his presence to, to be able to meet with Moses face-to-face in intimacy. In the Hebrew, face-to-face is, uh, the word face is panim. Face-to-face is panim el panim. And the face, this word for face is a, is a really deep word in Hebrew language but also in the culture because the face is not simply your face just another part of your body the word panim refers to that that word that covers in a sense what's behind your face who you truly are your face is your identity it's your personality it's your essence The face identifies you as a person and reflects the attitude and the sentiments of an individual. And so in the Old Testament, panim, face, is often used as a substitute for self or more specifically for one's feelings, for one's feelings about oneself or one's life. And so the face One's face was really seen in that culture as, as showing your internal emotions. Now, some of us have had that experience, haven't we, where, where we've tried to hide our emotions. We've tried to hide what's on the inside, but our face betrays us. <laughs> what do you think of this new recipe I just worked on? <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's delicious. Sometimes our face betrays us. But then often, I think as, as people, we grow, um, we grow accustomed to, to setting our face to give off a certain message. One that might be disconnected with what's going on behind the face. We might have the face that we need for our, our work life, for our business life. We might be just in turmoil inside ourselves, really struggling with something, maybe going through a time of grief, maybe a period of loneliness. Maybe there's a relationship that, that has a rift in it that's just causing us so much pain and suffering. Maybe we're literally suffering physically because of a health concern that we have. But we know that we need to put on a certain face. Because that's what our work requires of us. And that shades into our relationships with others as well. Relationships with family members, with others in the church, with, with friends. 
whenever we feel like we, we maybe are too vulnerable and we can't trust sharing who we are on the inside, we might put that face on. Almost as if we're wearing a mask. Moses wasn't wearing a mask in the tent of meeting. He was himself. He was open to God's presence. And God wasn't wearing a mask before Moses either. There was intimacy. There was connection. Face to face. It's the kind of intimacy with God that we experience through Jesus Christ. Who came to be with us. To reconcile us to God and bring us close into intimate union. With God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Something that, that we know is powerful about God's relationship with us is that God knows us each by name. That's another way of describing that God comes to us face to face and sees our true face, the face that's connected with what's on the inside. And he loves us. Loves us for who we truly are. At the end of that uh, narrative in Exodus 33, in verse 17, the Lord says to Moses, I am pleased with you and I know you by name. The God of the universe says to Moses, I know you, Moses. I know you are Moses. Now, in a, to think that we might be like Moses, that God could, could relate to us like God related to Moses, knowing names, knowing our name, is just amazing. When people know our name, we might meet someone and, and we learn that they know our name. That they remember. Maybe it takes them a little while to, to go through their mind, to rem go through their Rolodex, but, but we find that they've remembered who we are. It's so positive and affirming, isn't it? We feel like we matter. We feel like there's maybe the beginning of an actual relationship, maybe a friendship. Knowing someone by name is personally affirming, it's, it's the beginning of trust. And this is the kind of presence that comes to us in the presence of God. It's a presence that knows us by name. And that relates to us face to face. What we experience fully in God's presence is something that we sometimes struggle to experience in our relationships with others. Both face-to-face -face and being known by name are metaphors that in human community, in their absence, describe isolation and disconnection that is associated with loneliness. And if this continues, if loneliness becomes something other than just something that comes and goes, but it becomes chronic... It can be deeply, deeply challenging. Susan Metis 
wrote a book called The Loneliness Epidemic, published it in 2021. Uh, it's based on research that she was doing on behalf of the Barna Group. They are famous for doing social research and, and research that's helpful to churches. And uh, Susan, uh, the, the research that she was a part of actually did one, one set of, of, uh, of research questions. The, the research was conducted uh, in the first month and a half of the year 2020. And the second set of research questions were carried out in the fourth and fifth month of 2020. <laughs> so uh, you could imagine what... Insights might come with that. We're, we're not going to only mention her research today, but throughout this series. Because the first set of questions were before the pandemic. And the second set of questions were while we were in the deep pandemic of, of very little human in-person face-to-face interaction. But she asked this general question in her, in her book, The Loneliness Epidemic. Why... When we as humans have so many means of communication and access to even transportation and leisure time that would allow us to be able to be close, physically close with one another, are we more lonely now than ever recorded in human history? Her research reports that one in three adults in the United States, 36%, say they feel lonely almost all the time, or at least sometimes. The proportion of adults who say they could be accurately described as lonely has more than doubled in the last 25 years. And that survey predated the pandemic. Seeing others face-to-face she finds in her research, protects against feelings and an experience of chronic loneliness. Think about what that means to you, being able to see another person face to face, the people that you see, especially people outside your family. One thing she found out in this research is that, that, and this is where friendship really comes in to the loneliness question, is that when it comes to loneliness, family matters, but friendship matters more. Like, like even when we do have some face-to-face relationships with family members, there is that sense of it being a family relationship. But there's something within us as human beings that longs to be known and to be face-to-face with people who are not our kin, people who are different from us. There's something about being accepted by someone who doesn't have to accept you that maybe makes that significant for us. But face-to-face, being known, having that sense of belonging, Having that sense of trust in that relationship to share a little bit more of who we truly are, our true face. Having a sense that someone cares. One of the, as you read the the literature on loneliness and the survey questions on loneliness, one of the, the more heartbreaking questions 
where you see a lot of people agreeing with it is when it comes to like if something, if I was going through a difficult time, do I feel like there's anyone out there who really cares? And there's just a shocking high percentage of people in our culture who say they don't have anyone in their life who they are confident actually cares about them. Face-to-face friendship with God. That's what the life of discipleship in the church is all about. That relationship with God has the power to fuel friendship between us and others. So God solves our problem of, of disconnection with him in reconciling us to God through Jesus into this relationship, this close, intimate relationship with God. And it's meant to carry over into our relationships with others. This is true throughout Scripture. Like, if you look at Jesus' summary of the law, what are the, great, what are the things you need to remember when it comes to what God has said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This loving relationship with God and love your neighbor as yourself. That this love of God, this loving relationship with God would, would spill over into our relationships with others. And it's so true in relation to one particular aspect of relationship, and that is forgiveness. And so that's where we're going to shift our attention now to another story in the Old Testament about God's friendship with someone. And this is God's friendship with David, a man after God's own heart. Because David's friendship with God was forged by and through forgiveness. There's something about friendship that is vulnerable by the very definition. If friendship is a trusting relationship between two human beings, and we also believe that those two human beings are not perfect, someone's going to have to forgive someone for that friendship to continue. Because we're going to say an ill-timed or, or ill-intended word, a careless word. We're going to forget to stay in touch with someone. We're going to have feelings of self-pity. All of that entire range is going to happen in friendship. So friendships can't really even survive without forgiveness. But some relationships don't begin, they can't even get off the starting line because forgiveness is required for us even to entertain the idea of bridging the gap between us and someone else. And this comes with guilt by association. There might be people who we have experienced in a negative way, and someone we encounter might remind us of them, and we already, in a sense, have it in for them, or we have something against them because they remind us of the hurt that we've received at the hands of someone else. And I, this, happens, this happens to us in, 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 our, in so many ways throughout our life, 
But in particular, this is something that can happen when it comes to people who are different from us. And it could be when it is an encounter with someone who has characteristics in common with someone we've had a negative experience with. When it comes to uh, friendships across race and across ethnicity, for instance, some barriers to those friendships are because people have never met anyone, you know, of that difference, for instance. You've lived an isolated life. But for some, it's actually based on the fact that you have had interaction and you're carrying uh, something from that that you're describing as a negative experience. And you might impute the characteristics of one person and one experience onto another. Here's where the testimony of Dr. John Perkins, who wrote our book, um, he calls me friend, that we're studying, where it, where it helps us understand from his own story as an African-American man who experienced tremendous suffering at the hands of white people in his life. People who were different from him by color of skin. He shares in his autobiography, and he talks about it a bit in his book that we're reading right now. But his experiences just make you want to weep. Ways in which he was mistreated when he was a young boy. Um, losing his brother to injustice. For himself, as a, there was a moment in his life, even after he, he came to the Lord... Um, and went back to, to Mississippi to, to basically be a, an agent of healing and hope and reconciliation in, in a community. And he stood up for the rights of the poor and the oppressed. And what he got for that was imprisonment and being beaten under police custody. And he shares in this book and in his autobiography about his feelings of anger and how it started to bleed over. His bleeding started to bleed over into anger at everyone who had the same color of skin as those who beat him. And when, and when I read that, I think it leads me to think about the ways that, that I have experienced that same mode. Not exactly the same experience of being beaten in that way, but where I have had a negative experience where someone has done me wrong or I interpret it that way and I might impute that to other people and that creates a distance between me and others. Dr. Perkins testimony is so powerful because when he shares his story, and I recently saw a, a YouTube uh, presentation that he did, uh, and, and he talks about what God was doing in his life after that experience. God brought agents of healing and love, friends, friends, into his life who had white skin after that experience. And he wasn't sure he was really comfortable with that at the beginning, but he tells the story of being in the hospital, healing from his injuries. And in addition to his African-American doctor, there was this woman who was white, 
who helped heal him. And there it was. He says in his testimony, there it was. There was, there was that hatred that was building up inside him, and yet there was this kindness from this woman. And that kindness from that woman reminded him of the first person who discipled him into being a disciple of Jesus Christ, who was a woman who was a Sunday school teacher in his church in Southern California. And she had white skin. And then he started, when he was able to get back into the, the community work that he was doing, the mission work that he was doing, it was actually a police officer who had white skin who began to volunteer and to support that ministry. And Dr. Perkins also shares that, that he wasn't sure what to feel about that. Can this person be trusted with what he's experienced? And yet God provided for him to be forgiven, for him to be a forgiving person. And Dr. Perkins shares from his own testimony that it doesn't just come out of nowhere, it really comes from his own knowledge that he himself is a forgiven sinner, forgiven by God through God's grace. And just like when we recited the Lord's Prayer, when we said, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. Forgive those Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That is the essence of discipleship, the journey that we are on. Now, forgiving others is not an easy thing. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that forgiveness is easy. But Jesus makes forgiveness the center of his operation. Of his mission. Forgiving us is what he's here for. Reconciling us to God through that forgiveness. And in the Gospels, he shares how important it is for us to take what God gives us by his grace and offering it to others. Dr. Perkins says this forgiveness is a big deal, and you can't really have true friendship without it. To be human is to fail. We make mistakes. We hurt one another. To forgive is to make a decision to cancel a debt that you are owed and to not hold it against your offender. He continues, those who have been forgiven much should be ready to give forgiveness freely. I think about that a lot today. I suppose that's what's fueled my zeal to love everybody. I remember the heavy weight of anger and bitterness I carried. I was angry about being mistreated just because the color of my skin. Dr. Per Perkins is such a testimony that anything is possible with a person who has a contrite heart and opens oneself to the healing potential of God's forgiveness. Today is January 14th. Tomorrow's January 15th. That's how the calendar works. <laughs> but it also means that it is a special day, a special holiday, uh, honoring the Reverend, the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King, uh, one of the ways that I've really um, that Dr. King has been a hero for me. Uh, ever since you know, my high school years, my college years at Whitworth College, is through his preaching, through his sermons, many of which uh, he were published. Uh, some were published during his life, lifetime, but others were pu published posthumously. 
And Dr. King preached a lot about forgiveness. And he preached a lot about forgiveness because he preached a lot about Jesus. And he preached a lot from the gospel narratives of the New Testament. And so he has quotes. So if you look up like Dr. King on forgiveness, you'll get quotes. But if you look deeper into the source of those quotes, almost every one of those quotes comes from a sermon. When he was opening up God's word, specifically to the gospels, and reading before a congregation what Jesus said about forgiveness. And so he said this, forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on an evil act. That's not what forgiveness is. Injustice is still injustice. And that breaks God's heart. It wasn't by him forgiving his oppressor was not saying that what that oppressor did was right. It was wrong. It was evil. But he continues. He says, it means, forgiveness means rather, that the evil act no longer remains as a barrier to a relationship. Evil's still there. We've had a number of things. If we spent, we could gather in here, someone go by the chips and the dip and the, the soda, and, and we could just stay here, have a full all-nighter, and all of us share all the ways that people have hurt us. Because we're human. We hurt. We hurt others. Like Dr. Perkins says, we are all, we're, we're, we fail. We make mistakes. And people get hurt. But what forgiveness does, it doesn't necessarily just erase that. That's still an issue that has to be dealt with our behavior toward one another. There is such a thing as justice. But it means that that evil doesn't remain as a barrier to the relationship. It means you might have hope to be able to talk with one another, to share with one another, to build trust with one another. And this is really, really important when the people you're talking about where, where you've experienced hurt from or they've experienced hurt from you is someone who you live with. It could be a spouse. It could be a close friend. It could be a son or a daughter. It could be a father. It could be a colleague. It could be someone, or it could be anyone. Forgiveness allows for reconciliation. In a sermon that Dr. King preached on Jesus' call to forgive our neighbors 70 times 7, he claimed that following Christ's call means that, and this is his quote, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It's a permanent attitude. That's what it means, I believe, to be followers of Christ. For those who, who grow deep in, in the love and in the life of Christ. That even though it's not easy, Lord, it's not easy. But because of the forgiveness that we experience time and time again from Jesus, that this fuels within us an internal transformation that keeps us open to forgiving others.
And that is the bridge. Forgiveness. Friendship forged by forgiveness. God invites us into face-to-face friendship. And that friendship endures through the expression of love that we call forgiveness. We can bring God's forgiveness into our human relationships or allow God to do that. Offering to others what has graciously been given to us. Forgiveness makes friendship possible. With God's powerful forgiveness at work, imagine the possibilities. Amen.